Welcome to episode seven of And What Else, the podcast with me, Wendy O'Byrne, also known as The Completion Coach. And today we're going to talk about the kind of clients that come to me on a one-to-one basis and the common thread that puts all of my clients in front of me. (laughs) Most people that come to me come to me on a referral basis and most people that come to me don't know why they're coming to me. They just know something is off. They can't quite put their finger on it and or they will be able to tell me about something that's presenting to them externally at the moment, something that's going on that they'd like a hand with, something they want to achieve, something they want to get better at, something that they want to shift. I talk on my Instagram and in the posts that I create about hyper-independence and I talk a lot about overachievers who feel like underachievers. So primarily, the people that come to work with me do not know that they are hyper-independent. They do not know anything at all about their internal state to a large degree. So even within the consultation call, when I'm able to tell them some things that I know they will be experiencing or that we will be looking into and we will be exploring, there is often a look of disbelief and there is often a huge relief that something has been pointed out to them that they've never noticed, been able to express or have connected before. And the word connected is quite important here because the reason why these people are overachieving The reason why it feels like they're underachieving is because they are disconnected from their emotions as a way to cope and it allows them to cope with pressure and stress quite well. So you will see these people under a lot of pressure and under a lot of stress and coping externally really well with that. So people will have them in quite high regard. People will go to them with stressful situations for assistance These people can handle things when they get quite bad. They're quite clear thinkers. In fact, they are very clear in their mind, in their logical thinking. So this common thread starts with the fact that they will be very logical thinkers. They will want the logic. They will want to see the logic. And illogical, emotional things will be the things that they will avoid at all costs and bring back to logic if they can. Now, this is an expression of the clients that I work with based on the data that I have of working with them over the last six years. And this is the information I have gathered as to where that has come from. All of my clients can identify with the fact that they have had emotionally unavailable or emotionally immature caregivers. Primarily, the female caregiver has never displayed or taught them how to process or healthfully discuss their emotions. They will have had female caregivers that may well have just been strong, that have got on with things, or that have been overly emotional. And they have never had the right balance of just what a healthy expression of emotions are. And from a male caregiver point of view, that would have felt quite physically distant and unavailable. That's the pattern. Okay, this does not mean they have bad childhoods. This does not mean they have bad relationships with their parents. This does not mean anything. It just means they grew up in a place or space where emotions were never discussed. People never got together to talk about their emotions in a really healthy manner. And as a result of that, over time, 
they have learned to some degree that their emotions are something not to be put into other people's faces. Let's never be a burden. Let's never burden people with our emotions. They will retreat and be on their own when they are with emotions of any sort and come back into the room once they've got them out, they've got them out of the way. But they would have got them out of the way. They won't have processed them. They won't have healthy communication with themselves about their own emotions. They will try to remain the strong one. And to do that, they have to disconnect. Disconnect from their own emotions and feelings, which is why as an overachiever, as going to work soothes that. Because what they can do at work is go into logic. What they can do at work is overachieve. And that gives them a feeling. That gives them a feeling of self-worth. It gives them a feeling that's just really quite nourishing for them because they feel like they're good at this. And they don't feel like they're good at emotions. They don't feel like they're good at intimacy. They don't feel like they're good at building relations necessarily. They can feel quite overwhelmed with personal life. They can feel quite a lot of social anxiety, although you wouldn't know it. And they like to have an element of control. And this is not because they're controlling, but there's an element of control, especially in the workplace that they have, which enables them to feel like they can keep things in order to a certain degree. And they don't have that element of control within their personal lives or around emotional situations. So they will tend to overwork in a space where they feel in control, where they can feel a sense of achievement. It's very clear what they've achieved. They can see it very logically. And it is in an environment where they can care give, where they can overgive, where they can, you know, do somebody else's work for them where they can overachieve, basically is overgiving, where they can give more and feel safe. This has become their habitual response to stressful situations and difficult emotions. This is how they are the person that a lot of people will go to in a crisis. Because they can disassociate so quickly, they can remain calm in control and present. They'll present, they will help you, they will give you whatever you need and you would never know that they then have to go away and shut themselves away to experience their little piece of emotion which they may even struggle to express on their own and that can even be the huge desire to sit down and just cry or feel deflated but they almost have such a natural response to want to be over it already to have worked through it to have come out the other side and so will then try and distract themselves or find it really difficult to have the emotion The thing with these people is they crave intimacy. They crave connection. We all do, right? And we want to belong. Their core emotional desire is to belong whilst feeling very much like if they allowed somebody in, if they do connect, if they do go for it and they do relax, the likelihood is that they will lose it. So they almost don't see the point. And this is where we can talk of sort of an abandonment wounding within that. But it is very much that control in the workspace. There's an element of control of how to keep things and how to progress and how to get somewhere. And in an emotional sense, it's more difficult for them to see how they're going to keep things, especially relationships. These people will have patterns within their relationship styles. 
they will flip between feeling emotionally and anxiously attached to complete dissociation, to complete avoidance, where they almost don't feel anything at all. This isn't because they're anxious or avoidant people. This is how they're processing and feeling their emotions. This is how they're handling that. So it's really important. I'm going to do a separate podcast on labels and how words that we're using can have such impact. But it's really important to recognize they're experiencing an anxious attachment feeling and they're experiencing avoidance as a result of their emotional response. We're experiencing these things. And these guys are motivated. They're motivated to not feel discomfort, to not feel like a failure, to not be in uncertainty. And their coping mechanism of work, of control, of logic, of progress, of clear paths, you know, can ultimately lead them to burnout, to feeling empty, to feeling even more disconnected from their true self. And one of the biggest things we work through is becoming aware of emotions, learning healthy ways to cope with expressing and processing those emotions instead of suppressing them, working out and exploring the underlying beliefs that are driving their behavior and to get them into a balance where they can actually feel happy in their overachievements and fulfilled within their achievements and their life. They will be struggling in a lot of secrecy of feeling inadequate, in not measuring up, in feeling like they might just be irrelevant. This will be something they're handling in secret. Nobody will know this. Nobody will sense that about them. Nobody would guess that about them. Other people will look at these people and think they've got their shit together, that they're good, that they are confident, that they are successful, that they can do anything that they want to do and that they live a good life. It is so well presented, so well curated, that nobody can guess, including the person doing it. And I would stress this, the people that I work with when we're digging into this do not recognize they were doing it until they're aware that they were doing it. So there's no part of them that was going, I know, I'll avoid my emotions and go to work. They didn't put that logic together because it's illogical, right? It's emotional. So they're so, so disconnected from themselves, from knowing what they're doing and why they're doing it. They're just doing learnt behavior. And that learnt behavior when they were younger was to walk into a room and to sense that something was off, that wasn't always said. And they felt it was their responsibility to change the atmosphere, to change the mood. And when they did that, they felt loved. They felt safe, more to the point. They could relax, their systems could relax, that that tension was over. And so they see it as their job to fix things, to fix environments, to make things better, to shift everybody else's emotions so that there's an element of safety that they feel as a result of that. The high standards, perfectionism and avoidance and never-ending cycles that they're in is actually fueled by their self-criticism and self-doubt. It's by setting unattainable goals for themselves that you might not know about so that you think they're doing well, but their, their internal goal was so unattainable that they're always failing. It means there's always more to do, more to achieve, more they can improve on. And it gives them this sense, this underlying sense of dissatisfaction that they're never quite good enough. 
Now, the reason that they are doing what they're doing, the reason why they may have got the security and safety they've got is through their hyper-independence. And that's by being secure. So if they have a job, if they can still be busy, if they can have a sufficient income to be on their own, if they can cover themselves, if everybody leaves, it's basically that. Hyper-independence is the refusal to receive help, to do it, I can do it, I can do it, I'll do it, don't worry, I'll do it, including fix your problems, handle my own secretly and deny they exist, do well at work, make sure I've got something to hang on to over here. And all of it is done on the basis that if you all leave, I'll still have something. It is very much that hyper-independence. It's that I'm going to be okay even when it's not okay. So hyper-independence isn't just people that avoid one element of their life. For example, uh, I don't know, like you might see strong independent women and think, oh my God, they're hyper-independent. Hyper-independence is very much, I'll do this on my own because I have the underlying belief people will leave me anyway to some degree. And I need to know that I have some element of control over this, that I'm going to be okay, that I'm going to be safe. And that drives, drives their achievements, drives what they're doing. It's all very tied in. They have a pressure on them to overachieve, to get things done, because they almost feel like they're consistently trying to prove something to somebody, usually themselves, but unknowingly, that they're good enough. So if we're going to break that cycle of, overachieving and feeling as an underachiever, having this silent world going on where there's so much secrecy. These people can often feel and be slight liars because they're always presenting. And it's not because they want to keep you at arm's length. They do want a stronger connection. They're just scared of connection. They're scared of intimacy, scared of vulnerability, afraid of so many things, but you would never guess it. And so their ability to go through life and never do the inner work, never get on with finding out more about themselves is incredible because on the face of it, nobody thinks they have an issue. And I'm going to do a separate podcast on the coaching industry. But I saw this page, I fell down the rabbit hole the other day, basically saying, you know, rich and successful people don't need help. So why do people even bother helping them? They're not the people that need help. And once again, We're just feeding into that, that if people look like they're doing okay, they are okay. That, you know, quote unquote, I wish I had your problems. And it's the belief again, that if there is success, if there is some way of seeing somebody on some sort of pedestal in some sort of way with some sort of something, be that cash, the house they live in, what they're wearing, who they're sat with, that they must be okay. And so that they deserve less attention. And this is just refeeding into the story, right? This is going to push that person to avoid themselves even further. It's really led through the way that they have taught themselves to disconnect from their emotions, to disconnect from themselves, to disconnect from their needs, to disconnect from even their wants, and just look at their capabilities and keep pushing their capabilities. So, I talk on my website and I speak on Instagram about accidental leaders. I work with a lot of people in leadership positions, whether that's in their own companies or within corporate spaces. 
and they have become accidental leaders. And what that means is through their drive and the capacity and ability to overachieve and to do and to be in that environment, they have found themselves in positions of leadership through their abilities, not through their strive to want to be in a position of leadership. So when they are in those positions of leadership, they often feel overwhelmed by the fact they now have these people who have emotional needs relying on them. And they will even appear to be disconnected and can't allow that space for emotions. Or they will be so people-pleasing, so in desire to fix everything, they will be some of the most incredible people you'll ever work for. What they don't necessarily feel they have, and often in some cases they don't have, is the leadership skills that they need because they are avoiding their own emotions, they are avoiding their own thoughts and feelings, and they're avoiding feedback in a lot of situations because they feel like feedback is confrontation. They may well have decided their whole identity is work, and so they feel really uptight and scared of that identity being shifted in any way. So a lot of the work that I do with these people is to get them into feeling great about their leadership, to understand and process who they are, their whole identity, not just their working identity, to process the emotions, to reconnect with themselves in a much better way that enables them to connect to other people, to connect to goals that they truly want for different reasons, and to connect to their development, the development of self, the growth of themselves, and opening themselves up. So all in all, (laughs) today is talking to that, to the people that feel like work is their suva. I shared a post over a bank holiday about the fact that if you do overwork, if you feel guilty when you're not working, if you find it really difficult to switch off, if work feels all consuming and the only feedback you're getting from other people is to take a break, to have a rest, to not be so consumed. The opinion of you might be that, you know, you're a bit of an arsehole (laughs) because people just see you as a workaholic. You've got to get on with it. They don't understand what's driving it and they're never asking the question about what's driving the behavior. They're just telling you that you might need a nap or to switch off a little bit without realizing that you find that, especially in emotionally turbulent times, really difficult to do. And emotionally turbulent times to one person is different to a hyper-independent. It might be just an emotionally turbulent time because you're unsure of yourself in this moment and that causes such a feeling that you are just hell-bent on trying to figure that out by working, by seeing what the outcome will be to make that better. Emotionally turbulent times for you don't always look like they do for everybody else. And that's because you've never truly allowed those emotions out. You are very anxious whenever you feel something in your body that feels like a response and you want to get to the other side of it. You want to get to the other side of it as quickly as possible and you will do whatever you can do to distract yourself there rather than the idea of going in. Now, the reason I say that is because, you know, there were a lot of posts saying nobody gets to the end of their life and wishes they had worked more. So take some time off. Enjoy this moment. Enjoy where you are. These people are not purposely avoiding their life. 
in the way that you think they are. They are kind of purposely avoiding their emotions and their inadequacies and their separation from themselves. But they're not purposely thinking, I'm going to be the hardest working person on the planet. I know what I'll do. I'll I'll work a lot today and I'll not see my friends and I'll cancel those plans and I'll only talk about work to my partner when they get home tonight. That's not the intention that they have. They often do not know why they're doing what they're doing. And as I say, they they stumble across me in some way, usually by referral for my one-to-ones in all honesty. And as a result of coming in and knowing they're here for something, but not quite sure what, we start to unravel all of this. And in the process of unraveling this, what we're able to do is get clarity. What we're able to do is get self-connection back. What we're able to do is remove what is a heavy comparison. And that comparison is in fear of what they're not, but it's also then in comparison as to what everybody else may be doing business-wise better than them because they're also succeeding at life. It's fueled by their inadequacy. It's fueled by their low self-esteem that they did not know they had. And it's fueled by their inability to connect back to their body, to their emotions, to knowing what's going on. And so emotional avoidance has made them absolutely brilliant at overachieving. It has created something good for them. So there is a false benefit to this as well. We'll go back all the way to, what was that, episode two? There is a false benefit because overachieving has given them something. Being hyper-independent does have benefits. They're just not the benefits that they want, but there are benefits and those benefits are comfortable. Overworking and overachieving has become comfortable. Avoiding themselves at all costs has become quite easy to do. They know it off by heart. So if this sounds like you, if you have sat through this episode and recognized more about yourself or more about somebody that you know, then please know that you're not alone. Please know that this is all of the clients that I work with now and to a degree have always worked with but didn't know until I connected the data. And it's really sneaky. It's really sneaky. And you and we as humans are just really, really clever. And we don't give ourselves enough credit for how slight of hand we are, how easy it is to trick people to look the other way, how easy it is to, you know, just flick the attention somewhere else. And everybody that I work with has brilliant sleight of hand. They will do their best to distract me at all times away from the thing we need to go to. And they're a master of that craft. It is not something new. So my job is to never allow them to distract my eye, to not follow their tricks and to stay in the very uncomfortable discomfort that we need to stay in together. And I find as a result of a lot of the people that I've worked with, they may have been in a lot of therapy, they've been in counselling, they may have worked with professional coaches in self-development in work, (laughs) but not in self-development in themselves, in emotional intelligence, in really understanding emotional agility and how to build that and grow that and work with that. And so even though they have gone to those things, they have become so crafted at distraction that they may well have just navigated around things enough 
And what we do and how we sit together and how we work together is just the refusal to be distracted. It's the refusal to follow, as I say, their very crafty sleight of hand to get me to look the other way when we just won't do that. And the fact that I'm able to tell them that I know they are doing that in that moment, that I can see the presentation, that I know how they want to perform for me. And that's really important because a lot of people with this emotional wounding, let's call it, with this pattern in their history, with this skill set they have learned and really worked hard on, what they've learned really well is to present. And so even in a contract with a client, with a therapist, with anybody else, their core desire is to have done the work, as in showed up, put in the hours, hired the best, done whatever it is, to get out. The idea is to say, I've done it and tried to get out. And there will be this core desire to present to a coach, but we did a great job. This is amazing. Thank you. Rather than us actually sitting in it and it not being amazing, it not being great, it not feeling productive, it being about this ugly, sticky, messy bit that we're not trying to clear up. We're just trying to leave it messy. And so it's deeply unsettling for them in that way to have a coach that recognizes exactly what they're going to do and to be able to call bullshit on it. And they know that from the moment that we meet because we spend that first day together. And in that time, I'm able to share with them enough of their resources to let them know that I will know these for them to think, actually, I'm just going to put them down. And the reason why I work with people and have that full day with them in advance of us starting a relationship is because these people do not trust easily. And so building trust, getting our guards down, getting our defenses down, getting into some practices that will require an emotional release will require us to talk about things we may never have actually spoken about in this way. It allows us to build a foundational relationship. And in that, then we're able to go in the pursuit of the changes we're looking for, whilst accepting and understanding what's truly got us where we are what the benefits are, what the downsides are, and what really needs to change rather than another goal. Just what needs to change, because there will be downsides, there will be things that need to shift in order to know what the next goals truly would be. So thank you for listening. And if you have further questions, if there's stuff that you have realized from this that you might just want to reach out and ask a question about, please drop me an email, wendy at thecompletioncoach.co.uk or drop me a DM on Instagram. I would always come back to you as soon as I can. And all questions are relevant, even though you've spent most of your life not asking questions and finding out answers for yourself. I know how frustrated you are even by this podcast. So thank you for listening. As always, any feedback that you have, anything that you want to give back to me, please do. I'm always open to hearing it, the good, the bad, the ugly. And just let me know what you think. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you.